Tonight I want to look at Psalm 101 and acknowledge that this is written by King David and in that um, as we walk through it you're going to see an intensity about his decisions toward God and his commitment of life and you know when you hear that David was a man after God's own heart this is one of those psalms that pulls that out but it's written from a different perspective than what you and I are used to thinking and I'm challenged when I read passages like this to hone in on it and not dismiss it, but rather say, what do I need to do that my mindset would be similar? And how do I need to interpret this in my setting? Because it's easy to look at it and say, well, that was Old Testament, that was a king talking, it was, you know, it was someone else, and God, you know, we're, we're living in this age of grace and love, and you know, and it's sometimes it's a challenge to, to look at it and say, he's decided to commit himself to a different course here. And, and so we need to treat it honestly. He says, I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. I'm not used to linking love and justice as part of my singing of praise to God. Uh, for one, I, I like singing about the love of God. But justice is one of those double-edged terms, Right? If, if you're feeling guilty, justice is not really the thing that you sing about before God. Because there's this awareness that uh, I have judgment coming because of his justice. And yet, in this, David is declaring, he says, I know that you do things right. I know that you are always right. I know that you are always loving. And so he's making this declaration about the goodness of God. And he's saying... Part of that is your justice. Now, if we're feeling oppressed, these are, are good thoughts to think about. God, bring justice. And if, if we're feeling innocent in a situation, it's a, a good time to say, God, bring justice. But he's making a, a blanket statement that this is God, this is who he is all the time. And so how we interact with that has a lot to do with where we're at at the moment. And, and for me, it's like reading this going, I want to keep pushing toward this, whether it's fully a part of me or not. I want to keep embracing this, whether I've, I really feel good about the concept or not. Whether I appreciate the justice of God in this moment or not, I'm going to keep declaring this because this is what reality is. And so I want my life to reflect that. The Old Testament writers, uh, they wrestle with this idea of how do, you, how do you approach a holy God. And in Isaiah, he says, the sinners in Zion are terrified. The sinners in God's community, he says, are, they're frightened over this. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who can dwell with everlasting burning? That's, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? You know, if we think of our God as a consuming fire, the thought of stepping into his presence that way is like, oh boy. Now, one of the beautiful insights in Scripture that's presented is similar to gold being purified, that with flame, all the junk gets burned out. And, and so there's that idea that if I'm going to live with a, a burning God, 
the junk of my life needs to go, but there is the potential of me living there and not being consumed. Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? He who's, who walks righteously and speaks what is right, who rejects gain and extortion and keeps his hand from accepting brides, bribes, <laughs> who's... <laughs> That's an interesting one to think about. Stops his ears against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against con contemplating evil. He says the hand, the ears, the eyes. He says those things need to be dedicated to righteousness. This is a man who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. His bread will be supplied and water will not fail him. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. This is all out of Isaiah 33. Isaiah was wrestling with that concept. He says, how do we live with this? And he says, if we're going to approach a righteous and holy God, our lives need to reflect that. And so we need to embrace, this is how we want to live. Corinthians, Paul, in a similar fashion says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. You can't build your, old, your own fortress and assume that God's going to bless it. The only way that you build is on Christ himself. But with that, he says, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the, the day will bring it to light. In other words, there is a judgment day. And he says, you can look forward to that with excitement or anxiety, depending on, on how you're building. If you're building in righteousness, he says, that's a, a longed for day. Because it is a day of reward. It will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he survives, he will receive if what he has built survives, he will receive reward. If it is burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved. This is, a, you know, that, that thought of God as a consuming fire is something that is, is that thing of looking and saying, God, I understand that everything of junk is destroyed in your presence and yet my heart longs to be in your presence. Everything of trash I know cannot exist around you, and yet there's something in me that just says, I want to be there. I want to be connected to that. And so this challenge rises in our hearts to keep addressing this issue and to keep going back to the critical issues and saying, what is my life about? What am I pursuing? And when we tie into these passages to say, okay, today, what's going on? Where's my life going? What, what's, what, where's this path that I'm walking on? What, what do you desire out of me, Lord? Psalm 101, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. Then you will come to me. I'll walk in my house with blameless heart. David looks at the justice and love of God and says, this is going to cause me to live like this. I'm going to live blameless before God. When I consider his love and justice, I have to declare in my heart that my lifestyle is going to emulate this. That I'm going to walk in this path. 
Job walks through a similar thing. He's going through a testing. And you know the story of, of, of him having everything stripped away, and, and yet he's declaring the truth of things. And in, in Job 31, he makes this declaration, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Why? For it is man's lot from God above, his heritage from the Almighty on high. For what is man's lot? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see all my ways and count my every step? You know, the beauty of this is that it's like the New Testament saying, even the hairs of your head are numbered. He, he sees everything about us. Joe's making this declaration. He knows every step I take. If I've walked in falsehood or my foot is hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales and he'll know that I'm blameless. If my steps have turned from the path and my heart has been led by my eyes or if my hand has been defiled, then may others eat what I've sown and may my crops be uprooted. He's just making this declaration. This, this is the way I live. If my heart's been enticed by a woman or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain and may other men sleep with her. For that would have been shameful, a sin to be judged. He's just laying it out. He says, this is the way we need to live when we consider a holy God. Back to Psalm 101. David says, I'll set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate, they will not cling to me. In our culture, <laughs> there are so many things to set before our eyes, right? To, to bring into our homes, so to speak. We live in a day where it's different than, than all the other generations before us. When you think of the ease of access of profaneness in your household. When you think of... Uh, you know, the, the internet, the, the cable, the, everything else, it, it's just right there, right? And yet, David, long before these things, are saying, in my house, that's not the way I'm going to live. I just refuse to set things of evil before me. These are faithless men I hate. In other words, he says, I'm going to call evil what it is, and when I see those things, I'm not going to chuckle about it. I'm not going to get caught up in just wishing that was me. He says, rather, I'm going to hate those things. That's when I, when I read this. Hate really has been kind of trained out of our language, right? How often do you use the term hate? Oh, I hate to go to work today. That's about the only thing we come up with. But the idea of having a, a, a deep anger against something and, and hanging on to it as being appropriate, it's rare for us to think in those terms. Yet David takes this on and says, you know what? The vileness of what's going on, he says, I hate that kind of thing. I refuse to look at that as being acceptable. I refuse to even tolerate he says, for me he says I hate that thing 
Men of perverse heart shall be far from a, I have nothing to do with evil. I'm not going to build my circle of friends around the profane. I'm not going to build those, you know, my, my advisors and counselors around those who are wicked. Just refuse to do it. I've mentioned this. I, for a while, <laughs> I was uh, listening to talk radio. Just who I am. <laughs> and uh, there came a day when I'm going, you know what? Even though most of these men and women are presenting political views that I agree with, they're coming at it from a profane manner. And they're acting vitriolic toward people that I've been told to respect. And I need to let this thing go. And it's, you know, it doesn't matter that our views are close on, on some things as far as how government should function. It's a thing of, I am not going to fill myself with the advice of people who are taking an evil approach. I'm not going to allow myself... To be, to be participant in that camp, so to speak. Have my political views changed? Not really. But I'm not going to be continually getting my feeding from people that are, are presenting it in a profane fashion. And I think for each of us, we, we can look at different things that way and go, you know what? This thing is really starting to affect me. And I need to back off. I've shared this experience before, but um, there was a time when I was trying to increase my reading rate, and I found a, a writer that um, didn't present sex in all his books, and you know, and, and by and large they were short, and I could read them in a couple hours. And so I started reading his stuff, and and he had written volumes, many volumes, and so you know it was a good break. I could go get a book, be done in a couple hours, and, and I would try to increase uh, the speed of what I was doing. But there came a day when I was sitting on the couch one day going, how come never, everything never works out quite right? And why is it that like, people are always trying to, to do something wrong you know, and take what you have? And it dawned on me that I was thinking like this man was writing. That I had so filled myself with his stuff that my thought process was being guided by his philosophy of life. And I'm going, this man's not a Christian. He's not godly. He doesn't believe in the hope of Christ. He doesn't believe that all things to work together for good for those that love God. I, I need to step away from this. And I need to separate myself, even though it doesn't have as much junk as other things. And it might be more subtle, but its effect on me is significant and I need to move away from this. He also says, whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him I will put to silence. It's amazing to me in Christian circles how much gossip and slander guide our conversations, and it's, you know, it's done in the guise of caring or sincerity. But really, if we are unwilling to declare what we believe, to the person that we're talking about. We have no business talking about it to someone else. And in some ways, all that does is pull enough steam off of it so you don't confront the issue. 
Sometimes it needs to boil up until you get to, to address the situation that's there. And you'd be best to just shut your mouth until it happens. Other times, there are times when, when you start hearing stuff and you're going, you know what, this, this isn't appropriate for me. I have no involvement in this situation and I won't be taking any action. So why are you telling me this? You know, <laughs> that can stop people in a hurry. But it's appropriate. A lot of times between husbands and wives, you know, there's this chattering going on and it's no, no intent to make change in life. It's just expressing our anger at, at someone outside of our marriage. And it's like, that's just... That's just wrong. When he says, I'm not going to abide by slander, there's just this declaration, I'm going to keep my heart pure in this thing. And I am not going to let myself get sucked into this situation and, and even gloat over that somebody's sharing private feelings with me. He just says, that's, that's not what my life is going to be about. It says, whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not endure. It says, if somebody's just walking in the pride of life, think they've got the world by the tail, he says, I, I just don't have time for that. That's not going to be what I'm connected to. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. He says, I'm going to choose carefully who I listen to. I'm going to, I'm going to look for those that I see living with integrity about their lives. Those are the ones I'm going to go seeking advice from. I'm going to watch and, and evaluate and say, you know what, that, that person really seems to have put this together. I'm going to go see what they're doing. Now when you live this way, sometimes it means going to a little old lady that's a widow and in retirement, but you say, I admire what your life is doing and, and what you're about. How did you get to this stage? And even though she may not have any public uh, adoration or exaltation, when you look and say, there's a godly life, you're saying, I want to be tied to that kind of life. That's what I want to minister to me. Char and I have been talking to some recently about a, a couple that affected us deeply in our first church. We were, uh, when we started there, we were in our mid-20s, and uh, we had uh, a lot to learn, and we're doing our best, but uh, there were times when we just, you know, we'd feel overwhelmed. And I remember a couple in their late 70s came into our church, and they just started caring and loving and serving and and they invited us out to their house and we went out there and they fed us a meal and just started chattering and you know we're kind of going that was really a fun afternoon and then we found ourselves going back there and, and over months meant spent many trips there and realized you know what these folks were mentoring us whether we ever knew it or not they were investing into our lives. They knew what we needed. We didn't need, you know, somebody hammering on us or saying you're doing this wrong or doing that. 
they, we needed someone to just kind of come in and embrace us and, and care for us, and that's what they did. And to this day, they hold a, a treasured place in our hearts. Now, were they well-known in the community? Not at all. In fact, uh, you know, he had, oh, they had lived in, in lower Michigan. He had been a truck driver for many years. Uh, as a kid, he had had kind of a wild life, but you wouldn't guess that of him. He had hoboed across the country on trains uh, when he was a young teen. He had traveled with a circus, jumping out of hot air balloons with a parachute for uh, a time. But, you know, by the time we saw him, he was a guy with Coke bottle glasses and, you know, hardly getting around. And, you know, we're just kind of caught up by these gentle people. David's kind of saying, I'm going to spot people who are living it. That's what I'm going to surround myself with. Your eyes are going to be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. They can minister to me. He says, no one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. We aren't kings and we don't have rule over all kinds of other people. But most of us have a right in our house to say, I'm not tolerating this in this house. We're not going to live like this here. And yet oftentimes we just kind of abandon that. Yeah, David is making this declaration, in my house, this is how we're going to live. He says, every morning I'll put to silence all the wicked in the land. I'll cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Well, a king can make declarations like that. We shouldn't just write it off, though. That when we have a voice in the community and we have a right to declare truth, we should be speaking truth. David, as a king, has a right to say, I'm not even going to tolerate this in the town. But I want to declare again a, a principle that we try to embrace here is that What's embraced in heaven, we want to embrace here on earth. What's loved in heaven, we want to love in the church. And so if, if there is a, a value that heaven has, we want that value to be a part of our lives as well. We want that to be a part of our community. Revelation makes this declaration. He says, outside, and this is speaking of the holy city, Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. He says, uh, I skipped a verse, but I should have read, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. So he says, here's these two pictures. Those who are righteous have the right to enter into the holy city. Those who have insisted on keeping profanity a part of their lives, he says, they have no part of this. David, in a sense, is declaring, I want those same values on earth. He says, in regard to this city, I want holiness to live here. I don't want anything else. 
So I'm not going to embrace this. He says, every morning I'll put to silence the wicked in the land. I'll cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. He says, I'm going to embrace what heaven embraces. And so that's how we attempt to live. And we continue to go back and ask <laughs> the living God, the God of fire, the God who dwells in our hearts. It's like there's fire in the house, right? <laughs> so how are we going to live with it? Well, we're going to embrace what heaven embraces. We're going to build on what Christ has started. We're going to take on the heart of him because we need to conform to him rather than to, to say, well, I hope to live this way and have you accept that. But rather say, your way is right. You're loving and just. And I need to embrace this with everything I do. And so I'm going to examine what goes on in my house. I'm going to examine the relationships that I have. I'm going to examine even the very culture that I'm a part of, and I'm going to do my best to declare what heaven declares awesome. That I might stand before him, and, and when all is said and done, that it'll last forever and ever and ever. Lord, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your writings in the Psalms. We thank you for our heart like that of David's that just caught the challenge of a God who's loving and just and decided I'm going to build my life around that justice. I'm going to build my life around his significance. I'm going to bend toward him and allow him to make my life pure as well. Amen.